listeners um what you just did what i just did (laughs) so since we started recording the dogs have been assholes right and i'm recording in a different area just trying it out because where i normally sit i get a lot of road noise so i'm just like well i'll move away from the road right which is into my dining area which has wood floors and dogs So they've been tap dancing and having, um, you know, Friday night smackdown uh, since we started recording. (laughs) So I had to pause and uh, put the, put one of the dogs in her kennel so that they would stop fighting. And then we sat down to restart and I did not hit record. So we just recorded luckily only like maybe five minutes, (laughs) just five minutes of talking to each other about books um, without realizing that we weren't being recorded at all. <laughs> so I feel like an asshole. It's fine. And Margo just laughed instead of wanting to kill me. But I mean, at least it was only about five minutes. Yeah. Because oh. I've heard episodes of other podcasts being like, I we're just recording this for the second time. Ugh. Yeah. It's the first time we missed it. So let's try it. Let's try it again. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. okay. So, Amberly, are you reading anything interesting lately? No. <laughs> <sighs> As I said before, I am in between books. Mm-hmm. Uh, after research, I am ready to pick up a new book. I've just received two or I'm, I'm choosing between two that I just received for review. Uh, one is The Path of the Hedge Witch by Joanna Vanderhoven, uh, published by Llewellyn Books. It looks mm-hmm. amazing. Uh, Simple Natural Magic and the Art of Hedge Writing. It will be available October 2022. Nice. I am excited uh, for that one. Yeah, it looks really, really great. Uh, but I also just received this book that I definitely did not choose, but I'm, I'm intrigued. It is The Dreaming Circus by Jim Morris. It's Special Ops, LSD, and My Unlikely Path to Toltec Wisdom. That is a very, very intriguing title. Yeah, so it looks like on the back, uh, he's a Vietnam veteran. And it, I guess in the book, it discusses his tour of duty in Vietnam, where he was a Green Beret and was wounded badly enough to be retired from the army. Um, And then it kind of goes through his, uh, actually I'm getting chills now. Uh, This might be the one that I would go with. (laughs) Um, When he came back, it it talks about his journey to spiritual enlightenment. So. That's really interesting. Yeah, it looks, it looks interesting. So as you suggested on the last recording, I should read them both and I will, but I think I might start with that one. Nice. Yeah. Now, how about you? What are you reading? Uh, Well, I'm in the same boat with you being in between books because there's typically an extra week in between our regular length episodes. uh, And I was just doing a bunch of research for this episode. So I I haven't started it yet. But the next book that I am going to start is um, Espiritismo, Puerto Rican Mediumship and Magic by Hector Salva. 
Um, yeah, I'm really excited. I, uh, as I was saying, magic.com was having a really great sale. So mm -hmm. I scooped up um, a bunch of incense and a handful of books. I was really excited about this one. And I'll just read um, a quick paragraph on the back. Uh, Espiritismo is the Spanish word for spiritism and spiritualism traditions that emerged to great popularity in the United States following the Civil War. These spiritual traditions traveled around the world where they evolved in different ways. In Puerto Rico, I'm sorry, let me try that again. In Puerto Rico, Espiritismo incorporates African and indigenous Taino influences and places a strong focus on healing and magic. Now that sounds really, really interesting. Yeah, I'm excited. Oh, I might have to borrow that one when you're done with it. To learn a thing. I like to learn a thing. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So, on to the meat. On to the meat. <laughs> Lunasa. Yes, tell us about it. Okay. Lunasa. One of the four fire festivals occurring throughout the year, uh, found in between the quarter days, which are determined by the sun's position in the sky and are referred to as the spring equinox, the summer solstice, the autumn equinox, and the winter solstice. The four fire festivals, or cross-quarter days, are commonly referred to as Samhain, Imbolc, Beltane, and of course, Lunasa. These are also sometimes referred to as the greater Sabbaths, you know, for the cross-quarter days, and the lesser Sabbaths for the quarter days, but uh, in the modern wheel of the year, this distinction does not refer to any Sabbath having more importance over another. So Lunasa, which sits in between the summer solstice and the autumn equinox, is the first of the three harvest celebrations, honoring the first ripened crops of summer. It is commonly a day of gratitude and feasting, especially on bread, as grain is typically harvested now. It's also worth noting that it's actually uh, in bulk in the southern hemisphere, so if we have any listeners on the other side of the equator, blessed in bulk. Yes. So as with other Sabbaths, you don't have to take the meaning of the celebration literally, especially if you don't function in an agricultural community. Um, but an expression of gratitude for the food that does make it to your table is always a good idea. Absolutely. Instead, you can look at this as a celebration of the first fruits of your own labors, plans that have come, you know, that have panned out or projects that are almost complete. Even your own garden's progress is something to celebrate. Many pagans who celebrate the Wheel of the Year localize the traditions to their own environment or even use them as markers to help guide um, their progress in all aspects of their work, their projects, or their goals, and so on. So for this reason, you can move these celebrations or tweak them um, to be more meaningful to your personal practice. But it's still uh, very much worth learning about the origins of the holidays that inspired the celebration and the people that helped build the traditions that it borrows from. So here is your history, mythology, and folklore. A concise version, of course. Yes. So most Lunasa celebrations take place between sundown on July 31st through sundown on August 1st though it was referred to as Old Lamas or Old Style Lamas, um, which was celebrated around August 5th or 6th. Lamas being an English derivation of the Old English laugh mace, literally meaning loaf mass. 
the festival can also coincide with the sun, uh, with the sign of Leo reaching 15 degrees relative to the position of the sun. But yet another way the celebration can be timed is agriculturally, as in when the first fruits of the harvest have ripened in certain regional farmlands. So, originating in Ireland, Lunasa gets its name from the Celtic deity Lu, spelled L-U-G-H, or sometimes just spelled L-U-G. He is often referred to as the solar deity or harvest god, but actually seems to have originated as a god of human skill, kings, and patron of heroes. He was the king of the Tuatha de Danann, a race of divine beings whose name translates to people of the goddess Danu. Danu is a mother goddess associated with water, the earth, fertility, and victory, all very important associations for this time of year, as well as this celebration. So Lu was attributed with great skill and warfare, and at a time was equated with the Roman god Mercury. As I've said before, the study of Celtic culture is a fascinating but difficult one because ancient Celts rarely wrote things down, but what historical evidence we have encountered tells us that traditional Celtic Lunasa customs consisted of a mix of ceremony, feasting, and ritual theatrics held on hilltops or at watersides. Some of the theatrics included um, some of the first fruit of the grain harvest being brought to the top of the hill and buried as an offering. You can emulate this practice by taking the first ripened fruit from your own garden and burying it as a show of gratitude to the earth, a way of encouraging more growth that you may partake of. Other ritual theatrics may have included the sacrifice of a bull and a ceremony involving the animal's hide, as well as a ritual play retelling Lou's triumph over blight and famine. As this was followed by three days of feasting on bull flesh, um, bilberries, and the new food of the predominant crop of the harvest, which was grains in the early days and then potatoes in later years. Another name for Lunasa in Ireland is Bron Trogain. Bron meant bringing forth, and Trogain meant the earth or ground. So Bron Trogain represented bringing forth the fruits of the earth, or in other words, the harvest. Now, Bron also signified the idea of sorrow or distress, giving the name another layer of mysterious meaning. Um, there's a line in an old Irish tale, The Wooing of Emmer, that says of Bron Trogain, it is then the earth sorrows under the weight of its fruit. So moving along, in the second half of the 5th century, Germanic tribes excuse me, Germanic tribes from south of Denmark and Germany began to migrate into Britain, eventually establishing the Anglo-Saxon culture. This led to the blending and changing of traditions, which eventually led to the celebration of Lafmes, that translates to loaf mass. Although these peoples were no stranger to harvest celebrations prior to their migration, it wasn't until the Anglo-Saxon culture was well-established in Britain that they began holding this particular harvest celebration around the beginning of August. This loaf mass was originally dedicated to pagan deities, but as this group began converting to Christianity, it was absorbed into the church as the Feast of First Fruits, a day when bread was baked from the first grains and then brought to church to be blessed and consecrated. The conversion to Christi Christianity, however, did not stop folk practices from continuing in some way. One such practice cons uh, consisted of a loaf of hallowed bread being baked with the sign of the cross marked on top. The bread was then split into four pieces, and each piece was crumbled into the corner of a barn in order to invite blessings and ensure magical protection. 
Eventually, Anglo-Saxon culture would more and more heavily influence the Celts, further blending uh, into or even replacing other Lunasa traditions. It makes uh, it makes it difficult to really pinpoint the exact origins of some of the earliest harvest celebrations, um, which is why uh, research into early festivals in the UK typically turn up elements of both Celtic Lunasa and Anglo-Saxon Lamas. So us modern pagans are not the only ones that celebrate the blending of traditions. As you can see, ancient peoples did that as well, combining rituals and rites to create celebrations befitting their specific time, place, and cultural influences. A couple more traditions associated with early August celebrations throughout the world. So in the Scottish Highlands, the beginning of August marked a time to renew and refresh magical protections on crops, livestock, and other property. Rowan crosses were placed over doors as a means of this magical protection, and tar was sometimes painted onto the ears and tails of livestock to ensure the health and safety. Uh, red or blue threads would often be tied to a cow's tail, and magical charms would be spoken over the udders to ensure a plentiful milk supply. Special cakes called bannock lunastain, or lamas bannock, were baked and eaten outside. The eaters would often throw small pieces over their left and right shoulders while eating as an offering to the fox, the eagle, and other predators, a plea for the beasts to spare their livestock uttered with each toss of the bread. Similar cake rituals were also performed at Beltane, Samhain, and Imbolc, the other three cross-quarter days. Uh, One more tradition that has been upheld in some modern pagan traditions was practiced in parts of Scotland as well as parts of northern England. Um, It was the fashioning of the last sheaths of corn harvested into a doll called a kern maiden. These are what likely evolved into what we know as the corn dolly, first mentioned under that name in England in 1598, as far as we know. After the corn dolly was made, it was kept as a magical charm, thought to bring good luck to people, property, and livestock. I'm looking at my corn dolly right now, and she's just a beauty. So in Wales, Gwil Oust, or the Feast of Augustus, was celebrated with picnics on hilltops and community fairs, as well as other customs common to older Celtic uh, traditions, like dedicating the first ear of corn to the god Lu and burying it on a hilltop followed by feasting, and then a dramatic reenactment of Lou's triumph over famine, just like before. Um, Similar festivals that seem to parallel the spirit of the season while not exactly aligning with the specific celebrations are also found all over the world and throughout time. Some of these include the Hopi tribe in the southwest United States, who mark August with many special harvest rites and rituals, including the Marua dance, also called the Water Moon Dance, performed in hopes of ensuring human fertility, good weather, and bountiful harvest. Uh, Women dancers would carry stalks of corn, roots, and ears, and the leader of the dance carried a decorated prayer stick called a bajo. The bajo had prayers inscribed on it and could be deciphered by Muing Wa, the god of fertility and germination. Another dance called the snake dance was performed during the third week of August and incorporated snakes that had been collected over four days traveling north, south, east, and west of the village. They were considered sacred to Tawa, a deity associated with the sun, and the ritual dance was intended to protect the harvest and secure an adequate supply of rain. 
These rites emerged completely separate from those of the Celts, but you can see common themes of gratitude, hope, sacrifice, and harvest. Often these themes are are presented throughout the world. For example, indigenous peoples in the southeastern United States, like the Cherokee, Creek, Choctaw, and Chickasaw tribes, also celebrated the first of the corn harvest with a ceremony known as the Green Corn Festival. Although dates for the celebration differed because it was timed with the ripening of the first ears of corn. It could be as early as spring in some cases, but most commonly it was celebrated between July and August. Um, In parts of West Africa, an important festival takes place in the beginning of August um, to mark the first yam harvest. In Nigeria, the New Yam Festival is an annual event that lasts two days, and it has its roots in the indigenous Igbo and Yoruba tribes, being called Iriji to the Igbo and Eje to the Yoruba. Singing, dancing, drumming, and parades are all prominent aspects of these festivities, which carry very important spiritual overtones throughout. Thanks are given to the deities and spirits of the earth and sky for the blessing of the yam harvest. Back in ancient Rome, August 1st was celebrated as the feast in honor of Augustus Caesar, who founded the Roman Empire, and ceremonies in honor of the temples of Victoria Virgo, the goddess of victory, were also held. On August 21st, the festival of Consualia honors Consus, a god associated with fruit and grain. This festival included horse racing as well as an underground altar that was unearthed and raised part of the ceremony. Offerings of burnt first fruits were made to Consus in a gratitude for a successful harvest. August 25th was dedicated to the goddess Ops, or Opus, the goddess of abundance and plenty. Opicon Sivia, her festival, celebrated the successful storing of the harvest. I have a little bit extra that I want to say about um, the Christianization of the Romans, and then one more tradition before I wrap up. Awesome. As Rome became Christianized, so too did its pagan celebrations. August 1st, for example, which had been previously dedicated to the non-Christian Augustus Caesar and to the pagan goddess of victory, became instead a day to honor St. Peter, one of the 12 apostles of Jesus. Jesus is one of the central figures of Christian theology, in case you've never heard of him. He's seen as the Messiah or Savior slash Liberator. According to legend, St. Peter was imprisoned by King Herod of Judea for his Christian beliefs and alignment with Jesus. Though chained at his arms and legs and heavily guarded, Peter miraculously escaped, an angel having appeared to him to free him of his chains and open the gates leading out of the prison so that he could safely pass through. Legend holds that one of the chains that had bound Peter passed into the hands of Eudoxia, the daughter of the Roman emperor Theodosius II, while another of the chains was kept by the Pope. According to lore, when the Pope showed Eudoxia his part of Peter's chain, the two chains joined together to form one single chain, a miracle that led Eudoxia to proclaim that this day and this occurrence, which happened to be at the start of August, as the day to honor St. Peter and celebrate his liberation from bondage. So you can see that despite the variance of symbols and despite many symbolic and cultural differences in these celebrations, these are just a small few throughout the world and throughout time, we seem to always be able to find common themes um, around this time of year for sacrifice, gratitude, hope, and renewal. Okay, so I'm actually going to start my 
my portion with an incense that I got from the Complete Book of Incense Oils and Brews by Scott Cunningham. And this is just the Lunasa incense. Nice. He was, he was very nice to me and just made it easy. <laughs> made it nice and simple. Yep. Uh, so this is two parts frankincense, one part heather, one part apple blossoms, one pinch blackberry leaves, and a few drops of ambergris. You're going to burn the Lunasa incense during rituals on August 1st or 2nd, or at that time to attune with the coming harvest. Mm. Do you know what ambergris smells like, just out of curiosity? Like, do you have ambergris? I do not. I, well, actually, I might have the oil, but I don't. Is it a resin? Yeah, I think so. I don't have that. I might have the oil, but I can't tell you off the top of my head what it smells like. Yeah, I don't know either, but um, I hear it's nice. I've used a few different recipes from that book, and even when it doesn't seem like it's going to be a really great blend, somehow the combinations most often smell pretty amazing. I have a few. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I I was just curious because I don't really know what ambergris is. Should we move on to correspondences? Sure. All right, so I have correspondences from the complete book of correspondences, of course. Reference this book all the time. So for Lunasa, the planet or luminary is the moon. The moon phase is waning. Colors include brown, a reddish brown, gold, orange, purple, and yellow. The season is summer. Trees are acacia, apple, myrtle, oak, and rowan. Herbs from your garden uh, may include blackberry slash bramble and gorse. Uh, Miscellaneous other plants include aloe, ginseng, and grain. Gemstones and minerals include citrine, diamond, uh, specifically yellow diamonds, and peridot. Goddesses include Ain, Cirrus, Demeter, who that? Um, Demeter, Ereshkigal, Freya, Frigg, Inanna, Ishtar, Kor, or Persephone. Gods include Demuzi, Lu, and Odin. Animals are cattle, uh, bull or calf. Uh, Birds are chickens, uh, specifically roosters. Issues, intentions, and powers. Finally, we come to our accomplishments, agriculture, challenges, darkness, death, endings, release, transformation, sacrifice, gratitude, hope, and renewal. Awesome. Thank you. I actually just got that book. I've been wanting it forever. I finally bought it and I love it. It's so, so, so useful. It really is. Um, I don't know how I've lived this long without it. (laughs) Because uh, release, endings, and transformation are part of the correspondences, I was thinking for those of you who have school-age children, this is a good holiday to, well, A, have a bonfire because everybody loves a bonfire. But when you're going to have that bonfire, um, have your children write whatever BS, anger, bad feelings they have about last school year, have them write it down, and then throw it in the fire. Release that energy so that they can go into the new school year, which is coming up very quickly, fresh, fresh and new. 
I definitely think I will be doing that with my children because I know that school can be very stressful. I like that, especially with the new year ahead of them coming up so soon. Um, it's it's important to just get rid of all the gook from the mm-hmm. last year. Yeah. And if you can't uh, have a bonfire, that's fine. You can do like I said on our uh, on our video that you can see on our Patreon, like they can write it down on a piece of toilet paper and flush it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is what you said. That is what I said. <laughs> Um, and now I'm going to share, um, a recipe. I know that this is, it it is also the bread holiday, but Mm -hmm. as you discussed that corn is a big deal. And this recipe actually, uh, was originally brought to a pop-up by one of my Navajo friends in New Mexico. And she gave me the recipe and it is amazing. Mm. Um, it's called calabacitas. It's, I, I know there's a lot of um, Latino cultures that also have something called calabacitas, but this is specifically the one that has been developed uh, with the, the Spanish and the uh, native cultures in New Mexico. So what you will need are four squash. Usually I do two zucchini and two uh, yellow summer squash. So it's like the soft squash, not like a butternut squash. You don't want that kind. Okay. Um, so summer squashes, four of those, you're going to cut those into one inch pieces, one cup of corn, one pound of ground meat, uh, of your choice, or you can use uh, a meat substitute if you prefer. Um, I like beef or venison with this particular recipe, uh, two cloves of garlic minced, one medium onion diced, two teaspoons of green chili powder or two roasted green chilies or one can of hatch green chilies. You should be able to find one of those things. (laughs) But the reason I gave you options is because green chili is New Mexico's uh, major crop. And that's what makes this the New Mexican version of this. Okay. You are going to brown the meat and remove it from the pan along with any excess grease in the same pan. Throw your diced onions in for about two minutes until they start getting translucent and then add the rest of the veg. Uh, You're gonna cook the squash until it's just tender. You can easily overcook squash and then it's it's actually squish. Squish. (laughs) Yes. Don't squish your squash. Don't squish your squash. Then after it's just tender, you're going to return your meat to the pan, cook an additional one to two minutes until everything's come back to temperature. Season with salt and pepper to taste and enjoy. Uh, It is so good. I'm actually really hungry right now, and that would be fantastic. (laughs) It was even when my kids were young and didn't realize that vegetables were gross um, to them. It was one of the things that my son would request that I make. Oh, man. It sounds really good. It's so good. Um, I'm going to tell you the correspondences that go with that. Okay. So corn, uh, it corresponds with fire and protection and spirituality. To the Zuni, uh, various colors of corn are related to the cardinal directions. Yellow corn is north. 
white is east, red is south, and blue is west. Uh, the chile is associated with fire and protection. Squash is also fire and spirituality. Onion is also fire and protection. Garlic is fire, protection, and health. So I'm going to say fire. this. Yes, lots of fire and lots of protection. Yeah, I so. like it. And it's it's very appropriate for this Sabbath. And it's also, um, it's it's perfect because we're trying to put emphasis on, you know, you don't have to emulate the traditions that are across the Atlantic Ocean and unfamiliar to where you live. Mm-hmm. Like for example, you being from New Mexico, you these this this recipe comes from that region and the things that are available and the things that just, you know, that just feel right and they're mm-hmm. in season and so wherever you are, what's in season, what's being harvested, you know, I really really always want to make like whatever feast I'm working on for the Sabbath about the foods that are just now coming out out of the earth, Mm -hmm. because that makes me feel more connected to the energies that are going on in the world around me immediately in my area, you know? So I think that's great. Uh, Just now, if I was to make a feast with what is growing in my garden, it would be uh, two or three snow peas. Uh, one or two cucumbers and a metric shit ton of zucchini and squash. Oh, well, at least you've got that. I would be eating one green pepper. <laughs> oh, oh, well, I mean, they're delicious. So. <laughs> yeah, it is so adorable, though. My one, my, my one green pepper. I know every time you show it on Marco, I'm like, oh, tiny green pepper. You go next. I've got more, but okay, so. I've got two spells I'd like to share. Very nice. Uh, let's dive into the first. So this is a pre-harvest cooldown, and it's meant to be uh, performed sometime, you know, before your harvest celebration. And it is by Michael Fury. One of the primary facets of my practice at this time of year is to work sympathetic magic aimed at cooling the heat of the sun so its intensity will not destroy the crops before they can be harvested, and also because by this time the summer heat has more than worn out its welcome. (laughs) To work this magic, uh, and you know I just want to say that this is actually really um, appropriate, especially now when rising heat, especially due to climate change, really Mm -hmm. scorches the crops and even our own garden crops so it's it's really great for that to work this magic place an orange or red candle within a cauldron to symbolize the power of the sun next carefully pour water into the cauldron around the candle so it can still burn light the candle and allow it to continue to burn down until it reaches the water as the water overtakes it and it begins to sputter say Life-giving star of powerful force, calm the heat, do not destroy. To save the crops, our food source, balance of water, I employ. I love that. That's amazing. Yeah, I really like that too. Okay, and the next one is thanking your plants. Yeah. Oh, this one's also by Michael Fury. That's so funny. Good job, Michael. (laughs) So I, uh, I always keep these old Witches Spell a Day almanacs. The first one, I believe, was from 2020, and this one's from 2018. And I just happened to choose 
two spells that I liked without realizing that they were from the same person. How nice. Nice. Okay, so if you have a garden or even a single herb or vegetable plant, this is an appropriate time of year to give gratitude not only to these specific plants, but to their realm in general. Fill a large cup or watering can with fresh water and place your hands over it, mentally sending white light into the vessel to charge the water with the power of blessing. Go to your garden and lightly water your plants, connecting with them and sensing the vital bond that humans share with their world. As you water the plants, say, Respect and due reverence shall now be paid. My heartfelt thanks for your sacrifice made. Shoot and leaf and full-grown stalk, sacred plants who have served my needs. Harvest time shall now unlock the gifts from earth their magic freed. I just love some rhyming, yeah, rhyming incantations. <laughs> Currently, we are having the third sun shower of the day. Oh, wow. Uh, earlier, as my grandfather used to say, it was raining like a cow pissing on a flat rock. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but then it slowed down and uh, the sun came out and it was also raining still. <laughs> So, like a cow so, pissing on a flat rock. I was not expecting yes. that. I know, I know. That's why I, I had a giggle first. Uh, so, my grandfather has since passed, but he—that uh, was—that was his way of saying it's really fucking raining out there. <laughs> I have been avoiding the outside entirely and living like a shut-in because my air conditioning is currently on the fritz. Mm-hmm. Um, but my house does at least hold the cool air. So I'm like not even opening shades or turning on lights. Right. <laughs> it's really creepy in here. <laughs> but I'm trying to conserve cool air yeah. until I get my air conditioning fixed. Because it's supposed to be the hottest week of the summer this week. I know. Yeah. Well, it's definitely is here. Like what? Thanks for that timing. I know. Gross. I'm sorry you're dealing with that. So next we're going to do the fun stuff. Uh, oh, after yeah. we did all all the ritual stuff and all the the cooking it's time to have fun uh in ireland the holiday of lunasa is all about or was all about games and competitions i mean other than obviously the harvest but it's a time to get together and right and have fun and enjoy each other's company Uh, so what a great time to bring out all of your outdoor games you can play horseshoe you can play cornhole that weird little ladder ball game thing uh, there's bocce. Uh, what's the yeah. one with the shuttlecock? Uh, man, I know this. Badminton. Why? Yeah, but I call it I call it a birdie. Right. It is also called a birdie, which yeah. is probably the nicer thing to call. I'm sure that's what they called it in in high school PE. Where do you even get named? Like, well, I guess it kind of looks like a shuttle, or not a shuttle. I guess it looks like the little thingamabob that's connected to the rocket. That yeah, but I feel like that's older than the rockets. Like that's like the yeah. Shuttle that's cup. why they uh they named a shuttle a shuttle. Oh, could be. <laughs> you never know. You never know. So last last fall, this is another game I'm going to tell you about. Um, and anyone can do this. Last fall, my good friend Barbara turned fifty, and for her fiftieth birthday, she had a full on three-day-long Viking encampment. Wow. It started Friday night, uh, 
and then it was all day Saturday and all day Sunday. And they played this really amazing, hilarious game called, and I'm going to butcher this, so I'm just telling you now, sorry, uh, Yom's, Yom's Vikinger. <laughs> Yom's Vikinger. Yom's Vikinger. Okay. It's also known as the Viking chess game. So we'll chest, just that. not chess. Chest as in pectoral. Chest as in like uh, that you you put your your stuff in a cedar chest, like oh, chest. <laughs> not, not like breast cestests. Okay. Um, just I'm just listening. I'm I'm already picturing them just chest bumping each other nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> it can also be played around a table, but uh, what what it is is there's a chest or a table. Okay. In between two people and traditionally it was played each person would have a, a cloth sack with a salted herring inside of it as in the fish <laughs> as in the fish okay and uh, they would each place one hand on the chest or the table and they would be blindfolded and they would call each other's name and if you call their name you have to respond so at this particular event it was hilarious they would say, like, if I was playing with you, I'd say, Margo, mm-hmm. may I hit you with my fish? <laughs> no. <laughs> and you could respond however you want. But then I've heard your voice, so I know where you are. So then I swing oh. to hit you with my fish. So what's the point of asking? <laughs> so that you know where they are. <laughs> so then... Uh, you have to keep your hand on the table. You cannot remove it. If you remove your hand, you forfeit the game. Oh. Um, but three hits with the fish, whoever gets three hits first is the winner. So this is like close combat with a fish. Right. Okay. And let me tell you, a salted herring even. I'm sure it smelled delicious. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> when I watched it, there were, um, there were my friend Barbara's husband, Jerry, is like, a fucking giant, right? Mm-hmm. And this other huge guy. And they're both in full Viking regalia, blindfolded, just trying to hit each other with... with <laughs> it was actually um, a, a stuffed, um, like, fabric fish at that time. Oh, okay. Because, ew. Uh, <laughs> we were all camping for three days. That would have been terrible. Oh, yeah. Oof. But it is so funny. So I think we need to bring back the Yum's Vikingo. With a real fish. Except for not when I play. <laughs> or uh, a can of tuna. No, that would be really Ooh, dangerous. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it can alternatively be uh, played with a pillow as well. Yeah. Or just like a wet sponge. <laughs> oh, that would be fun. But it would have to be in a bag so you could like swing it. Actually, a right. wet sponge would be hilarious and kids would love that. <laughs> Uh, I like it. Good ad- adaptation, Margo. There you go. So what I'm saying is get outside with your family and your friends and be silly. And <laughs> Smack each other with a fish. Smack each other with a salted herring. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> well, well we're on the, while we're on the topic of the fun stuff, I have a cocktail recipe. Ooh, yes. I'll be drinking that while people are hitting yeah. each other with a fish. I got this... Um, this recipe from Witchcraft Cocktails by Julia Helena Hadass. I love this book. It's great. And it is pretty amazing. 
I found a recipe in here that is actually perfect for this time of year because it's Leo season. Um, Yeah, Leo season is um, from July through, you know, I forgot what day in July, but it goes through August. So uh, Lunasa is planted right in Leo season. And this cocktail is called the Triumphant Lion. Nice. Yeah. It says, capitalize on the solar vibrant energies of Leo with this sun-oriented success cocktail. Based on the beloved Old Fashioned, this enchanted mixture celebrates the summer and promotes energies of success and strength. Utilize the herbal associations of bay leaf, orange, hazelnut, and chamomile, or shamamale, as Melanie would say, (laughs) to invite creativity and wisdom as you triumph over your fears and energy blockages and take charge of your life. Whether you wish to be promoted at work or uh, ace an interview, this recipe will help channel the confidence and radiance Leo to make you stand out and claim the day. Compliment cherry garnish with flamed orange peel and add a whole bay leaf if desired. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and say you probably shouldn't drink it before an interview. No, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not. Unless, no, never mind. Let me, let me not promote bad behavior on here. Okay. Okay, I was going to (laughs) say. Okay. So your list of ingredients are one small fresh bay leaf, one tablespoon of bay leaf orange syrup, which I also have the recipe for one small orange peel, two dashes of orange bitters, two dashes of Angostura bitters, two ounces of hazelnut chamomile bourbon. I also have the recipe for that. And one maraschino cherry for garnish. This is a serious drink recipe. Yeah, it sounds like it. It says, place the bay leaf, syrup, orange peel, orange bitters, and Angostura bitters on rocks glass. Muddle the ingredients, visualizing the movement of muddling, clearing away any obstacles or fear. Add one large ice cube, Pour in the bourbon and stir. Draw a symbol of Leo, of the Leo sun sign, with your fingers above the beverage. Rub the cherry around the inside of the glass in the bourbon, and then drop it into the glass. So, if you want to make the bay orange syrup and the hazelnut chamomile bourbon, here you go. Hazelnut chamomile bourbon, inspired by summer harvests. This hazelnut chamomile bourbon combines light floral chamomile with nutty hazelnut in a relaxing, grounding bourbon base. It's the perfect infusion for communication, divinatory potions, and celebrations of summer. You will need a half a cup of whole hazelnuts, one tablespoon of dried chamomile flowers, and two cups of bourbon. Mix the hazelnuts and chamomile flowers together in a small bowl and place your hands over the bowl. Visualize little lights brightening inside the hazelnuts and flowers. Carefully make a knocking motion with one hand above the herbs and though as though waking them up from their slumber. Pour the mixture into a quart-sized glass mason jar and add bourbon. Cover and store in a cool, dark place for about 6 to 10 hours, depending upon your flavor preference. Remove the hazelnuts and flowers and store for up to three months. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So first, I love that there's ceremony behind that. That's 
serious kitchen witchery right there. I feel like if you actually lightly crushed your hazelnuts, not like you'd get more flavors, but if you crush them a little bit, pop them in the oven on 400 for about five minutes so that they roast a little bit and then throw it in there, you will get way more flavor out of them mm-hmm. and it'll be more complex. Yeah, I wonder, uh, because the bourbon, you know, has a, a pretty high alcohol content, so it does it does a good amount of extracting, extracting, mm-hmm. you know, but maybe if you really want that hazelnut flavor, that's a, that's a great idea. Yeah, I, I love hazelnut. It's one of my favorite flavors ever, so. There's a recipe for the bay leaf and orange syrup as well. So bay leaf is a great cleansing, healing, and success-oriented herb. It is also popular for wishing spells and is burned for wisdom and psychic ability. This is a wonderful syrup for cleansing work, strength, success, and wishes. You will need four ounces of room temperature water, two dried bay leaves, one large orange peel, and a half a cup of granulated sugar. In a small pot over high heat, boil water. While waiting for the water to boil, bowl, while waiting for the water to boil, Hold bay leaves and orange peel between your hands in a prayer position. Think about the intention for your syrup. Say a few words or chant if desired. And imagine the light growing within the bay leaves in your hands. Rub your hands together slightly, then put leaves and peel in a 12-ounce mason jar and pour the hot water in. Allow to steep for five minutes, then add sugar and stir until dissolved. Let the jar sit covered in the refrigerator for 24 hours. In the morning, as the sun rises, remove the bay leaves and orange peel. Use as desired. So uh, all of that goes into that triumphant lion cocktail. All right, go for it. Drink it before an interview. Yeah, maybe. I feel like crafting that cocktail is like a ritual in and of itself. Yeah. I really want to try it. It sounds yummy, actually. All right, what you got for us? That was it. I'm 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 donezo. I had another another thing, but you you had it in your stuff. So <laughs> I have one last. Um, I like to associate a tarot card with one of the sabbats. I just love incorporating tarot into my practice mm-hmm. all the time. I have a couple tarot cards sitting on my altar doing their thing. Um, it's just something that I'm really comfortable doing with my practice and you can always find the energies, um, from the tarot that are aligned with, you know, whatever you're doing or whatever celebration you've got. So actually for, for Lunasa, I have the devil card and here's why. So the first of the three harvest festivals, Lamas recognizes the sacrifice of the Oak King to feed the earth. While we are grateful for the harvest, we know that it comes with a price the eventual death of the god, and the coming of darkness. As the end of the growing season draws closer, there is an air of celebration and wild abandon, similar to some aspects of the devil tarot card. This represents enjoyment of the physical world, taking chances, and sometimes taking risks that have a high cost. During Lamas, games are played, wagers made, and bread and beer enjoyed. The devil card is often associated with the god Pan, and hence is an appropriate match for this holiday, though the beverage of choice is more often made of grain than grapes. Lamas has an almost eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die sensibility. 
there is utter enjoyment without thinking about putting anything by for the future. There will be consequences, but in this moment, work with the devil card to focus on celebrating the joys of the physical world. There will be a time enough to think about the future. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. I mean, you're, you're getting your first bits of your harvest, so uh, you are definitely going to be putting things aside, uh, but it's absolutely celebrate for now. Celebrate what you're getting. So I actually do have one more thing, and this I wasn't planning on, but I really, I've talked about this book before. I want to talk about it again. This book, Once Around the Sun, by Alet Everett Hopman and illustrated by Lauren Mills, okay. is really such a great resource, especially if you have children. But if you just really enjoy folklore and following folklore throughout the year, this is a really wonderful book because it doesn't follow just one culture. Like last month, or last Sabbath, rather, last, well, I guess it was last month, <laughs> <laughs> when we did the summer solstice, um, I, I learned about a Polish. Right. Cupola, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then this Sabbath was Irish. Next Sabbath is Scottish. Then there's like, there's the Anglo-Saxon and Germanic traditions. Like every Sabbath, it talks about a different part of the world. And I just think that's really cool. Perfect. for the world that we live in now because we're all you know intertwined so you should learn about everything right and that's why I really love diving into the history mythology and folklore of these sabbats Mm -hmm. because yeah people from all over the world are having completely different celebrations from each other but the themes are almost always across the board and I love that knowing that even back in ancient times when there was no possible way for one culture to be in contact with Mm -hmm. another culture, you know, in the way that we do it now, Mm -hmm. they were having these very similar celebrations and all that energy was just being lifted up into the sky. And it's like, Mm -hmm. wow, it was the same, you know, not the same thing, but very similar energies were, were just being celebrated on earth all over the place. I I love Mm -hmm when the themes are, are so similar across the board. And I also enjoy that I can take them and tweak them to work for me. Yeah. Creating your own traditions is part of the beauty of witchcraft, which is what we do all the time. That's why we're eclectic witches or, you know, whatever, because we are taking other information and tweaking it to our own context of our, our lives. Yeah. And it's been happening in cultures all over the world forever. They take things from other cultures and learn and learn about them and use them in their own way, you know, so. When it happens respectfully, of course. When it happens respectfully, yes. I'm right. not saying. Um, when, when we are looking at open celebrations yeah. and. Yeah. Absolutely. I said absolutely again. <laughs> you did. You absolutely did. Learn about things and then create, create your own traditions with yourself and your family. Like slapping each other with fish. Yes, Absolutely. I said, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. I think I'm going to start slapping my children with fish. (laughs) Not really. Maybe if you, if you really just need one major takeaway from today's episode, it's that Amberly is going to start slapping her children with fish. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Correct. Salted herring to be exact. 
I'm actually really looking forward to Lunasa this year because I think that our uh, Northeastern bunch, um, you know, our little coven members who live close enough in a little cluster in the Northeast uh, are getting together and hanging out in a face-to-face setting, which, you know, has happens every once in a while but what what will this be our third gathering since last year this is our third sabbath um and our third full gathering of all of us i think so i'm really looking forward to it we're gonna make some food we're gonna Mm -hmm. hang out we're just gonna enjoy the day do you think the ladies would play yum vikinger with me um, maybe with that stuffed fish that you were talking I'll, about. I'll totally make a stuffed fish. Well, this has been absolutely enlightening and my computer is actually about to die. Okay. But you know what should, we should do before we go? We have two new Patreons, so we should oh, thank them. That's right. that's right. Um, they are Teresa and Amy. Teresa and Amy. We love you. Thank you very, very much. We do love you. All right. Well, awesome, Margo. Thanks for spending the evening with us, with us, with me. No problem. The whole ass evening. All right, everybody. Have yourself a wonderful Sabbath. Eat some bread. Have some, whatever uh, is ripening in your area, have some mm-hmm. of it. I got myself yeah. this adorable little calendar that I hang in the kitchen and it tells me what uh, for my region specifically, what fruits and vegetables are in season each month. So that really oh, helps awesome. me. So I just go to the list for this month, which is huge, by the way. And uh, I choose, you know, my recipes or what I'm going to make based on that list. That's awesome. And as usual, um, recipes and everything will be available on our website. Yes. Recipes and spells. So All send right. me pictures of your calabacitas. Oh, yeah. You, sh- you guys should definitely tag us um, if you make the cocktail, if you make the, re- mm-hmm. if you make the recipe, if you do the spells, anything. Totally yeah. tag us because we want to see. We do. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks again. Good to see you, Margo. Bye. Good to Bye. see you too. See you next time. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at The Hearth and Hedge, on our website, thehearthandhedge.com, or you can email us at thehearthandhedge at gmail.com. If you like what you hear, consider leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts. We also have a Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash thehearthandhedge. I'm sorry. I'm just like Okay. Get it out. Here we go. Uh, that's the funny. You're like <laughs> <laughs>